So often when we as Christians turn to scripture or we turn to sections of the Bible, what we find are situations or images, if you like, that seem so incredibly relevant to our present predicament. Can't you testify to that as a Christian? Uh, that you turn to God's word, you open scripture, and what do you find? You find circumstances there, you find even uh, pictures there that seem to speak to exactly where you are at that point in your life. Well, this morning, as we open God's word together, we come to the door, I wonder, does the situation of the disciples in the midst of Mark chapter 6 Does that sound familiar to you just now? Like the situation of the disciples here, does that sound like where you are in your life at this very moment? Like when we hear that they were straining on the oars, but making no progress because the winds were against them. Does that sound like a picture of your situation? Does that sound like a picture of your life just now? Like, would you say in your life at this moment, you seem stuck? You know, tired maybe, even in pain perhaps. And despite all the sort of effort, despite all the exertion that you're putting into your life, you don't seem to be making any headway. Don't seem to be making any progress at all. Does that sound like you just now? Well, if so, there is good news. Because in this portion of scripture, in this miracle this morning, the almighty God of heaven and earth will address that very predicament. And as we listen to his word just now, surely what we're going to hear is of where help, where real assistance, eternal assistance can be found. So, with these things said, I'll say to you what I normally say to you, and I would invite you as a congregation to please turn back with me to Mark's Gospel, to, to, I don't know, pick up the Pew Bible, or to turn on your device and have Scripture open. But turn back, please, to Mark chapter 6 and to verse 45. Okay. First of all, let's notice here what we learn about the sympathy of the Lord. The sympathy of the Lord. Um, if you were here last week, last Sunday morning, I'm pretty sure you'll remember what has just happened. Do you remember what's just happened? Jesus has just miraculously satisfied the hunger of the crowd. You remember it? Jesus has fed over 5,000 people with just a little bit of bread and a couple of fish. Now, the other gospel accounts, they tell us that what happened next was that the multitude there, so that massive crowd in front of Jesus, that they wanted to install Jesus as leader, and they wanted to do that by force. That's what the other gospel accounts tell us. Now, you notice Mark doesn't specify that. Mark doesn't state that, does he, in our section? But I think, though, he does kind of hint at it in the urgent way he speaks about what happens next. So, look, how does this section from verse 45 begin? Do you see it? What happens? Jesus immediately disperses the crowd. So he's 
you can see the picture, can't you? They were all sat in the green grass. The disciples have gone out with the bread and the fish. Everyone's had their fill. They've collected the remainder. And what happens next? Jesus goes out in there and he disperses everyone away. He sort of sends them back to where they've come. He sends them home. So he disperses the crowd. What else does he do? I think it's interesting, isn't it? He's immediately dispersed the crowd. He also immediately disperses the disciples. So at that moment, what he does is he takes the disciples and he sends and puts them in the boat. And he sends the twelve out into the darkness of the lake. He sends them away and he sends them off in the direction of Bethsaida. <laughs> I wonder, are we getting a bit of a sense of deja vu? Is that is that fair enough this morning? Is there a little bit of a sense of deja vu? Can you see why there might be a little bit of a sense of deja vu this morning? I mean, we have only recently as a congregation studied a portion of Scripture where the twelve have encountered a storm. Isn't that right? If you can think back to that uh, first storm, do you see the difference between that and what we've got here? What's the difference? In that first storm, who was in the boat Jesus was in the boat, wasn't he? And here that is not the case, is it? Here, the twelve have, what have we just said? They've been sent away by Jesus by themselves. And Jesus is still on the shore. Now, surely you see that that's quite critical, isn't it? See, imagine what this new situation or this new storm would have been like for the twelve. Like the wind's picking up. They're out in the midst of the lake in the darkness. The wars are big. They're straining at the oars. After what happened last time, aren't they desperate for the presence of Jesus? Don't they wish that Jesus was with them? Don't you think they're feeling that separation from Jesus? Maybe even feeling, since he sent them out, that they are abandoned by the Lord in this new storm? Now, here's the thing. Isn't it true that as Christians, we can feel exactly like that? When things seem hopeless in our lives. When we are tired as Christians, when we are exhausted as Christians, when we seem to be making no progress at all in our lives, isn't it then that we feel as though sometimes Jesus Christ does not care for us? Isn't it at those moments in the storm that we just feel as though, well, well, Jesus isn't helping us. Jesus isn't here. We're going through these things by ourselves. Is that how you're maybe feeling this morning in here just now? This is what you've got to get. Okay, Jesus isn't in the boat. But where exactly is he? Look at it. Look at it with me. Look at verse 46. Where's Jesus? What does it say? After leaving the twelve, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Now, isn't that great? Because you ask yourself, who's he praying for at that particular moment? Who's he praying for? Right? Remember, after their scoffing? Remember, after their doubt in the previous miracle? Surely, not only is he praying for the crowd, who's he praying for? He's praying for the twelve, isn't he? Like, see the situation. They're straining. They're fighting the waves. They're, they're thinking Jesus is, is, is separated from them all the time. 
He is interceding on their behalf before Almighty God. Isn't that awesome? He's praying for them. And then, you notice what he does next. So look with me again. Look at verse 48. What do we learn? It says, oh, it's simple maybe, but isn't it beautiful? He saw the disciples straining at the oars. And I think that's even more wonderful. I mean, come on, with me. Like, picture the scene. The disciples are fighting the waves. And they think Jesus is utterly oblivious to what's going on. But what's the truth? Having prayed for them, at that very moment, he is on the mountainside over Galilee. He's looking through the pre-dawn light. And he is aware of every single movement that they make. They don't have a clue that they're going through this storm. They have no idea about it. But Jesus is watching over the twelve. Friends, do you not see in there the message for the people of God, the message for us this morning? Can I sincerely ask you, you know, does the beginning of that sermon, does it sound familiar to you? I mean, do you sense as a Christian, do you really feel through this struggle, the Lord God has abandoned you? And, and do you feel as though, well, Jesus doesn't seem to know what's going on. He doesn't seem to care. But can you see that nothing is further from the truth? And can you see that right now, as I'm speaking to you here in this place right now, from his vantage point in the heavenly Mount Zion, Jesus Christ is watching over you. And he's aware of every single tiny little detail of that struggle you are going through. I mean, what, what do we, we're going to sing it in the Psalms. What's the truth? The Lord God watches down from heaven and he sees all the children of men. Now he, he's aware But you know as a Christian, deep down you know it's actually better than that, isn't it? I mean, what's true? I ask you this. What is Jesus doing as I speak? What is he doing? What do we learn in Scripture? Right now, Jesus Christ is in heaven interceding on behalf of his people. So he knows. But right now, Jesus Christ is praying for you. Now, does that not... Move us? Is that not disturb us this morning? Well, if not, think about what else happens here. I mean, what's this story about? What happens in this miracle? Come on. Jesus goes to his people in despair. And friends, I want you to see that that is true for you this morning. Like here, but through his Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ transcends all the laws and nature and physics. And he comes to his people's aid. Are you hearing me? Are you in despair? See the truth of this. Jesus Christ is watching over you. Just now, he is praying for you. The Lord Jesus Christ cares for you. So we see the sympathy of the Lord in this miracle. A second thing that we need to notice is the revelation of the divine. The revelation of the divine. <laughs> Were you here last Sunday night, last Sunday evening? Um, 
during the service, I spoke about my grandmother <coughs> last Sunday evening. And we, we talked about it and we said that my, my grandmother thought of herself as a bit of a fashionista. And her advice uh, to her grandchildren when they were young, do you remember her advice? Uh, what was it? Uh, children, it is, it'd be better to be dead than out of fashion. That was my grandmother's advice. Okay, so not only did she, was she a bit of a philosopher, obviously, uh, despite not being a Christian, uh, my grandmother also fancied herself as a bit of a theologian too. Okay? And on one occasion, she spoke to my family about this very miracle that we're dealing with, Jesus walking on water. Now, like countless people throughout the centuries, my grandmother thought there there had to be a rational explanation for this. It had to be Jesus walking on. It had to be a rational explanation for this. Now, my grandmother's rational explanation for this was that this vast body of water that we're dealing with in the Middle East, it had frozen over clearly, and that had enabled Jesus to walk out on the water to the boat. Now. Of course, I hope you see that that is nonsense. And if we just consider the shock of the disciples. If you thought about that, the shock of men who were what? They were seasoned Galilean fishermen. We see their shock at what happens next. Then what we need to do is we need to take the text for what it says. What happens here? Jesus does walk out on the waves. He walks out on the water. It's a miracle. Now, what I think we need to do as a congregation is to work why that happens. Now, we can we can talk about Jesus walking on water. We can think about Jesus walking on water. I wonder if you've ever given serious thought to why he does it. What was what was he doing? Was he just showing, when he walks on water, is he just showing how powerful he was? Is that it? Well, what we know is if we're trying to understand a portion or a miracle like this, the best thing that we can do as Christians is come to it prayerfully and view it through the lens of the rest of Scripture. Now, if we come to Jesus walking on water through the rest of Scripture, what do we see and what do we learn? Now, you might be tired this morning. You might be distracted. If you get anything this morning, you get what I'm about to say. Okay, now listen to me here. If we come to this miracle through the rest of Scripture, we see very clearly that this miracle was an indicator of the divine nature of Jesus. So I'll put that another way, just to make sure that we've all got that. What we're dealing with, Jesus walking on water, it was a pointer to the divinity of this man. Now, how can I say that? How can, how can we assert that this morning? Okay, what do we know? What do we know from the Old Testament? We know that in the Old Testament, it was only Almighty God who possessed control over the waters. Now think about creation. What happens in creation? God displays his mastery over the chaos of the deep. 
We see that also in his repeated ability in the Old Testament to do what? To part the waters. So in light of that, do you see what we're seeing here? As Jesus walks on water, what is he doing? He's not just pointing you to his divine power. He is pointing you to his incredible identity. Who's Jesus? He's walking on water. He is God himself. Now what I want you to see is how this revelation of his identity is confirmed in the detail that's got you scratching your head. (laughs) I reckon I'm right. You can correct me if I'm wrong later on. I think there's a detail in this section of scripture that we look at it slightly confused about maybe scratching our heads. Now, think about what's going on. The disciples in the storm, rowing, not making progress. What happens? Jesus walks out on the water. And what are we told? Look at it. Look at the end of verse 48. He walks out to them on the water. And he was about to do what? He was about to pass by? I mean, come on. Are you not scratching your heads that slightly? What was, what, what was he doing? Why was he overtaking the boat? Like, was he in a rush? Seriously, though, I mean, why would why would he pass by the boat? Was he, okay, got to get to Bethsaida before the disciples do? Was there an engagement? Why? Why does he? Do you see why? How does the Old Testament speak of Almighty God when he is revealing himself to man? God with Moses at Sinai. God passed by. God with Elijah on Horeb. Our God passed by. And then you get this. Okay, this will take your breath away. This is the book of Job, chapter 9. You ready for what Job says? He says, you are the God who tramples the waves and behold you pass me by do you see what's going on here this miracle jesus walking in the waters passing by the boat he's not just showing us oh i can do this he's not just showing us that he has incredible power he is showing us here who he is who is he he is god you just consider what he goes on to say to the disciples he says he looks at them and he says hey do not be afraid it is i in the greek what is that it is exactly what god said to moses do not be afraid I am. I am. So friends, I wonder this morning, have you come into this church and you're somebody who is interested in biblical Christianity and you are interested in Jesus, but you are not somebody who has entered into a relationship with him. Are you somebody who is not born again? I want you to see this morning the glory, but the uniqueness of the gospel message. In the Bible, God himself, the creator of the heavens and the earth, he says here, 
that he can be known by man. Isn't that a thought? Isn't it? The God of the universe, the one true and living God, he's opened up a path for the likes of you and the likes of me to enter into a personal relationship with him. How is that possible? How can that, how can that happen? Don't you see? It can only happen through this man that we are dealing with here, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say to you, he is your only hope of salvation. He is the only mediator between God and man. Why? Because this man we are seeing walking on the waves, walking on the water. He is almighty God become flesh. So, is the beginning of the sermon true for you as somebody who isn't a Christian? Are you really struggling in your life just now? Are you battling against the waves, but you're not making any headway in life? Is that the case? Don't you see the answer? Don't you hear what God is saying to you this morning? He is saying, look out of the Look at the boat and see today who is passing by. In this Jesus, you can this morning be reconciled to God. Isn't that marvelous? In this Jesus, through your faith in him today, it's true. You need not be afraid. And then thirdly, And lastly, we see the incomprehension of the twelve. There is something we need to note. It's quite important for the the gospel of Mark. This is a bit of a juncture at this point here. Up until now, uh, as we've studied Mark's gospel, you probably agree with me that the disciples have had a fairly good press up until now. You know, they've been shown by Mark and reasonably favorable light positive way um that changes here so at this point things change for the next section what actually happens is that the 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 disciples lack of faith yes but certainly their lack of understanding is really comes to the fore for the next few chapters and uh, that, that lack of perception is definitely evident in this portion of scripture, isn't it? I just think about the, think about it with me. Despite the fact that earlier on that day, what have they done? Earlier on that day, the disciples have taken part in one of the greatest miracles of all time. So they've taken part in the feeding of the 5,000. So despite that, and despite the fact that they have just a matter of hours ago left the incarnate son of God on the beach, despite all of this, when they're rowing and a figure appears beside the boat, what do they conclude? Despite all they've seen and heard, do they think it's Jesus? What do they think it's a ghosty? Don't they? their conclusions, what, is Jesus? No, despite everything, come on, the recent chapters, 
all they've seen and listened to from Jesus and all they've heard, they conclude it is a ghost. Isn't that, isn't it amazing? Now, oh, consider with me when that lack of recognition of Christ takes place. It takes place in the midst of a storm. It's as they are battling the waves and as they are straining that they fail to recognize Jesus. And isn't that the same for you? And isn't that the same? Isn't that exactly how it is for us as Christians? Like, don't you and I fail to recognize the presence and recognize the activity of the Lord Jesus Christ most often when? When we are in the eye of a storm. It's then most often that as Christians we are prone to blindness in the eye of a storm. And then you think about why the disciples failed to recognize Jesus Why did they fail to see who he was? Did you notice we're told? Look at verse 52. So they don't reckon, they think it's a ghost. They don't recognize him. They're amazed. They're astounded by all of this. Why? Look at the end of that verse. Now read it through the lens of Mark's gospel. Think about everything that we've seen. It says their hearts were hardened. And you should be amazed by that expression. Because twice already in Mark's gospel, we've encountered that phrase. And both times it was used of people who were resolutely opposed to Jesus. They were hard of heart. But who is Mark saying this of here? He's not saying of the Pharisees. Who's he saying it? He's saying it of Jesus' inner circle. He's saying it of the twelve. So I want to close like this. Are you someone in here who has been a Christian for a very, very long time? (laughs) Have you followed faithfully the Lord Jesus for many, many years? Do you not see the warning that we have in this section of Scripture? I mean, think about the disciples. They are the same in some senses as you. They have, by this stage of Mark's Gospel, they have followed Jesus for a considerable length of time. And they've done what you've done. And they've listened to Jesus. And they have served Jesus. They have followed Jesus. They have obeyed Jesus. Yet what have we got? They were still capable of such hardness and such blindness. Do you see the warning, the lesson, the message? As Christians, we are never above. We are never beyond failures of spiritual perception. And so in light of that, do you see what we must do? We must do as the Lord Christ Jesus did at the start of this passage. Even if we have been Christians for decades, for many, many years, this morning what we must do is recommit ourselves to ascending the mountain often for prayer. Have you been a Christian for, for, for ages? Do it. Renew your commitment to often separating yourself from the crowd 
finding a place of solitude and regularly, frequently seeking private devotion with your God. Will you do that? What do we do when we're there? What do we do? That's the easy part. Not only in light of this from the disciples do we ask God to soften hearts, but we also praise the name of Jesus, don't we? Why? Well, for the fact that his eye is never, ever, ever, ever for a split second from his people. But we also praise him for the fact that as far as our salvation is concerned, what has happened? Would you all hear me? What has happened to the people of God? Think about Mark chapter 6. In the storm of our sin, what has God done? In the person of Jesus Christ, He has come to us. And what has he done? He has entered into our boat, hasn't he? And through our repentance and through our belief, what is true for you? What is true of the people of God? What has he done for us? Our God has eternally, eternally calmed the seas. Let's pray.